I want you to uh, take your scriptures and open them if you have them. And we are in um, a study in first, the letter uh, of 1 John. And in this letter, we've been talking about uh, light and life and love. And so we're going to go there this morning, and I want to encourage us um, to just keep our hearts open to what God's teaching us on a personal level, not as information, but as transformation. A.W. Tozer, some of you are familiar who he was. He was Alliance pastor. And A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite quotes from him is this. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our mind when we think about God is one of the most important things about us. And why is that? If what comes to your mind when you think about God is somebody who is judgmental and harsh and looking down on you, your trajectory in life is going to be a lot different than someone whose concept of God has uh, a, a being who's full of graciousness and love and endearment. Sometimes uh, when kids get in trouble, right, they sort of pick which parent they're going to go to. Because one parent might be a little bit easier than another parent on a particular subject or some wrong that was done. They have a concept of how that parent's going to respond. You and I live our life out in a direct correlation to our concept and our image of God. And so the attributes of God, who God is, not the things that he's like, but who he is in his essence, is of utmost criticalness. And John's been going after that in this letter. And he said this last week as we looked at 1 John 4, 7, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because what? God is love. And we've said that whole understanding that God is love is special revelation that's shared for us through Scripture. Because in creation itself, we understand God's divine power and his eternal essence maybe and created, but nothing in uh, just the general revelation of this world says that God is love. Especially when a lightning bolt strikes or a storm comes or a hurricane. You're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Where is God at in this? But scripture teaches us that God is love and it's shown through the life of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and his resurrection, specifically what we just remembered in our time of communion together. Most other religions, actually all the religions, do not have this concept that God is love. I think I've made mention before in the Islamic faith, all kinds of attributes that uh, are they said that God is like this, but they do not ever say that God is love. So if you come up through that kind of religion, how is your life going to play its way out? Maybe you grew up in a faith or in a church which was very uh, dogmatic, fundamentalistic, and it was about the rule keeping. And so you've grown up in life just worried that your hand's going to be swatted because you did something wrong. Now, it's true that you can also grow up in other environments, and we've made mention this in the last few weeks, that has sort of, I think I've used the word sloppy agape. Agape is a word for a deep, genuine, true, biblical love. But sometimes, us Christians, we start to make that love a little wishy-washy and warm and fuzzy and not have the calling or the cost of discipleship embedded in that love. 
And so you can grow up in different kinds of extremes, a harsh, judgmental God or just a warm, fuzzy kind of God. But at its essence, God is love. And what comes to your mind when you think about God is maybe an assignment that you need to take home this week and just start writing down. We'll be starting up another Rooted group in a few weeks. And the first uh, week of Rooted, which is our 10-week discipleship experience, has to specifically do with your concept of God. And that concept plays its way out in your life, and we're going to look at a couple ways that it does that today. Another quote of A.W. Tozer takes it this way, Nothing God ever does, or ever did, or ever will do, is separate from the love of God. Even when there is discipline in our life, even when we discipline our children, right, that love is still there, so also with God. But His essence is love. So 1 John 4, 11 and 12, that's where we ended last week. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It's important that you look at that word, his love is made complete in us, because we're going to be coming back around to that in a second. This idea of completeness, of perfection, of how it's made whole in us. And it's exhorting us here that God lives in us and his love is able to be made complete in us. So then verse 13, we pick up there today. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. Now, what I just said to you was not what was in the scripture. He has given us, his spirit is not what it says. It says he has given us of his spirit. Now he gave his spirit on the day of Pentecost, right? A few weeks after Jesus ascended to the heavens and he told them to wait for his empowerment, God sent his Holy Spirit, the very spirit of Jesus himself, to come and invade Sometimes we get so used to this, I just have to push the envelope a little bit. God gave his spirit to possess us. If you are a believer of Christ, and you acknowledge Jesus, not only as your Savior, but as your Lord, and invite him into your life, then you are a possessed being. You are possessed with the spirit of God, in your spirit. That's what happened at the day of Pentecost. In fact, the disciples on the day of Pentecost knew Jesus far better on the day of Pentecost than they did when he was walking here on earth because the very essence, the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus had possessed them. And so it began to teach them, to guide them. He said, I'm going to give you my spirit that will guide you into all the truth, right? Jesus had a master plan in store far better than what we think might be a better idea. I just wish Jesus would show up and walk in here for church and sit down. I have a talk with him. And Jesus says, well, that would have been fine, but then I can only get around to one of you at a time. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to come and possess every individual who's a follower of me. And my very spirit's going to speak and work and change and be able to mobilize my kingdom's work through individuals. 
So his plan's far better than ours, even though we think it'd be nice to be able to talk to Jesus face to face. I don't want to have to call Jesus, track him down, go visit him. He now dwells within me. And so it is true that if you're a believer in Jesus this morning, that he has given you the Spirit. But this says he has given us of his Spirit, which means everything that is of that Holy Spirit, everything that is true of Jesus Christ, can start to become true of your life. So, his peace, his joy, his power, his love, all that is embedded in the package of his spirit that comes to dwell within us. So I don't know if you've walked through that or thought about it. Sometimes you think, my life needs to change. It's a mess. I need to go to Costco. I need to go to Walmart. I need to maybe shop online with Amazon and find something that can change my life. No, you don't do that because you can't find it in a store. The only way you can find full transformation is by having God come and dwell in you. And of his spirit, transformation comes. This is how we live in him and he in us. That's why Romans 5, 5 says, the Apostle Paul says, God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. So here we are today walking through this letter, the letter that the Apostle John in his 90s was exhorting some Christians that had started to go a little bit wayward. Talked last week about how he's old and they had to bring him in and he would stand up and he would exhort them and then sit back down. In this letter written 2,000 years ago, this letter for you and I today is talking about the subject of love, that God is love and that God's love needs to change and transform your life and the life of your family and your friends. And how does it do that? It does that by coming to dwell, by him coming to dwell within and him pouring out of his spirit the things that are of his spirit. So, if you're in a particular situation and you don't respond well maybe you're teed off at your boss maybe you're really bothered by a situation that seems unjust and unfair maybe you're just really weary of your neighbor and the stuff that they park on the road i don't know right your sinful nature wants to respond in a sinful nature fleshly kind of way in those moments and i'm still in that camp too been walking with jesus for a long time I have to yield to the Spirit and say, Spirit, I need you to pour out love in my heart right now. Doesn't mean I don't deal with the situation. Sometimes it's tough love. But I have to choose to live in the Spirit because all that I need for transformation is of the Spirit. And if you're here this morning, you're watching online, if you've never had the opportunity to cross the line of faith and repent of your sins and turn your life over to God and say, Jesus, come take control, then you're sort of missing out. Because you're trying to horsepower up and change your life in some ways where uh, you can't ultimately change it because there is a nature that needs to be dealt with. The old nature, the sinful nature set aside, yielding to the new nature, life in the spirit. And this was very common unto John. He was exhorting that church. Hey, you got, guys got problems in this church. Let's rethink through this. So then in verse 14 he says, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. He flips back to actually what he did in the first chapter, which he says, it's real, Jesus was here. 
God himself came in the flesh. We touched him. We talked with him. We ate with him. He hugged us, right? We walked along the road together. We testify that Jesus is real. God himself came in the flesh. And it says that the Father has sent the Son. And this is an important distinction just to remind us of again this morning. It's not like Jesus was born and then he lived such a good life that he became the Son of God. Some people believe that. In Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, but a son is given. The Son always existed eternally with the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. A child was born. God became incarnate in human flesh. And so he reminds them here, we have seen and we've testified to this incredible, huge dynamic of the Trinity and what God's doing. And sometimes we try to unpack the Trinity and go, I can't understand. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but yet three in one. How is that possible? One, three. All I know is Scripture reveals it through everything that's blended and brought together, beginning with the creation of the world. We have ant-sized brains, and sometimes it's hard to comprehend such beauty and magnitude that's in the Godhead. But in the Godhead, God said, he turned and he said, Son, I'm sending you. God sent his son, and he sent his son to do what? To be the savior of the world. It doesn't say that he sent his son to save the world, to be the savior, because he's not saving the whole world, but he's providing a means of salvation through his cross and his resurrection so that anyone can be saved. So he is the Savior for the world, but he's not saving the whole world. And so John's reflecting on all this. He's thinking back. He's reminding them again. He says, man, we've seen, we've testified. We know, Father, he's sent his Son, his very essence, to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God then comes and possesses him, lives in them, and they in God. Their life is hidden in God as well as God's life is apart and hidden in them. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. And there it is again, the simple three-word three sentence. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Sometimes we just sort of get numb to all this because I've heard that. It sounds right. Sounds good. I got some dinner plans, some lunch plans here this afternoon, and big week ahead of me. But your big week ahead of you is going to be determined to a large extent how much you understand this truth and experience it on a day-by-day -day basis in the dog-eat-dog -dog world. Belief in Christ unleashes the love of God. Because God is love and comes to dwell within us, he then lives his life of love through us. There's a connection here. A few weeks ago, we talked about the testing of the spirits and then the test of love. John's bringing together two big things here. He's saying your belief, your acknowledgement of who Jesus is and your knowing of who Jesus is that intellectual and volitional 
exercise of belief in Christ is going to be directly related to how much you experience his love. His love for you and his love that you're called to express to others. The two are connected. Where God's life is, his love will be because love always follows the life of God. If you don't have much life of God going on in you, you just need to tell your spouse and everybody else around you, watch out for me this week because it ain't happening. What ain't happening? You're not walking in close proximity and experience of God. And so when your cup is bumped, your tea is going to spill over and it's pretty hot and nasty and watch out. But if you're walking close to God, as He lives within you, then when you have opportunity to interface with others, and it happens every moment, every day almost, then you are going to have more love to be able to give. Are you low on love? Then I would say, are you low on belief in knowing God? Not just cognitively, but volitionally, experientially. I just make it real simple. Faith produces love. The greater the faith, the greater the love. So that's why I say you don't go out and try to get the commodity off the shelf. I just need more love. I kind of oh, bear and grit it. No, you need to choose to love God more and draw near to him. I remember when I was uh, studying in seminary many years ago, and uh, I was uh, a country boy from uh, the Midwest, Indiana, and I chose to go to a graduate school uh, just right north of New York City. And uh, where I had my apartment at uh, overlooked the Tappan Zee Bridge. Some of you might be familiar with it. I mean, multi, multi-lane bridge. They actually built a new one. Cars flooding from the north part of New York down to go into Manhattan to work and, and get on trains and those kinds of things. And I was just taken back by it. Here I was in graduate school. I was going to study to be in ministry and try to help people and encourage people to love Jesus, right, and everything. And I, I got overwhelmed by masses of people. And I just simply cried out to God. I remember one time as I was looking out my window across the Tappan Zee, and the people, I said, God, I, I, how do you deal with that? That's a lot of people. And I couldn't love all those kinds of people. And I really felt God just prompted my heart this statement to be true. He says, Carrie, you worry about the depth of your love for me, and I will take care of the breadth of your love for other people. You worry about your depth of love for me, and I will live in you to give you the breadth of love for those that I'm calling you to connect with. And so I spent my uh, two and a half years that I was at uh, seminary there in New York sort of buried with my Bible, my hymn book, getting to know Jesus. Yeah, I was uh, learning uh, uh, tricks of the trade, if you will, ministry, philosophy, visions, and, and sociological dynamics of people, all the things you study, and, and, and going through Scripture and how to tear it apart and put it back together again, all those kinds of things. But that's what I was doing on the side. What I knew I was there for was to study who Jesus was experientially and get to know him. Carrie, you take care of the depth of knowing me and I will take care of the breadth of living your life, my life through you to love others. So I just exhort you that today. This whole thing of God is love, wow. Not only that he loves you, but he's able to love others through you as you experience his love more. It's actually 
reminds me of what's called the marriage triangle. Some of you might be familiar with this. If I do some uh, counseling for married couples, including my own marriage, this is so front and center to me. A man and a woman would say they're not married. They're wanting to come together. They have a love. They have warm feelings for one another. I, I want to love my mate. And so a lot of times, and to the disagreement of what the Word of God teaches us, those two individuals will just try to come together one to another, and sometimes even physically before they're married, they'll have intimacy. And what happens in the coming together directly without God being in the picture causes great problems in a marriage. There's guilt and separation that comes about when we're just trying to love one another directly. And especially if we've fallen into immorality and we are physically involved, physical relationship before marriage. Friends, it's powerful. Some of you have gone that direction. And, you know, as we talk about student ministry and these things, friends, you've got to put it up front. God didn't say wait until marriage to steal your fun and your joy. It's powerful. Physical intimacy will work. But something happens when you build the relationship off the physical intimacy that builds a cloud of separation and guilt before God. But what you need to do, not only in courtship, but also after you're married, is each of you need to spend your time focused on knowing God. And as each of you get to know God, guess what happens? You come together. And so I know it's true in our marriage. My wife's down here sitting on her head some going, that's true. We exhort one another in our intimacy with God or our time alone with God or how you doing in your faith, not in a uh, judgmental kind of uh, uh, lording it over a person like, well, are you walking with Jesus very close today? No, it's not that. I mean, that's a terrible kind of thing to say. But I can exhort this. You know, you just need to, you probably need uh, just to get some space to have some time away with the Lord today, right? And she'll say the same for me. And I want to exhort you, if you're married today, that this is so true. You're at one another. They're not doing what you want them to do to fulfill your needs. Faith. Faith produces love. You move towards a heart for God and recalibrate things And over the course of time, by his grace and enablement, because the God of love lives within you, he will help you know and love one another. The closer to God, the closer to one another. It's not only true in our marriages, it's true in our families, it's true with our friends, it's true with those uh, neighbors that we're trying to encourage and reach out to uh, uh, for them to be saved. You need a dynamic fully alive faith in Christ if you're going to experience the powerful love that God wants you to have to share abroad to others. Faith produces love. Go home and just do a heart check on that one. And maybe spouse to spouse, friend to friend, gift each other some time to cultivate anew that relationship with the Lord. John, 1 John 4, 17, he goes on then and says this. This is how love is made complete. Oh, there's that word again. In us. It's made complete among us 
so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. If you're reading the letter, you're like, wow, John, thanks, thanks for all the encouragement. And, and I appreciate the letter and love one another and love of God's in us. And then all of a sudden he says, day of judgment. Wait a second, I thought God's love. What do you mean day of judgment, right? Doesn't a loving God's not going to judge people? Well, friends, you cannot have the love of God without the justice of God. All of us experience that in life. Dig into it a little bit. It's not true love if there's not also justice happening. And so we have to have the justice of God satisfied as he's loving us. And that's why the incredible act of what Christ did is so mind-boggling. He satisfied the justice of God at the same time he showed us the great love of God. But he says the day of judgment. Confidence on the day of judgment? I haven't thought about that for a while. You know, scriptures clearly teach, you can't get away from it, that there is a day of judgment for a believer and a non-believer. It talks in scripture about the great white throne judgment for all people. It also talks about the bema seat of judgment for what you did and did not do kind of idea. Can't unpack all that today, but here's the reality. There is a day of judgment coming. And you may deny it, I may deny it, but underneath, if we wrestled with it, we are people that are made in the image of God, and we know that justice has to be done and sin has to be dealt with. So he brings up this subject of having confidence on the day of judgment. Hmm. Acts 17, 31, it says this, For he has set a day for the judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. You see, Jesus himself will be the judge of all the world. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to glory of the God the Father. I don't have to worry about people ever getting their due or justice made or, my gosh, are they ever going to wake up? Every single human being will have a day of accountability and they will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. So what about that day? It's sort of lingering out there. It's like, you know, a deadline. Hey, school's coming or my job's going to end. It's sort of hanging out there. We try to push the idea away, but it's coming. This is how love is made complete, it said. Made complete. Made perfect. The completeness aspect is there's a love dimension that needs to come together in its fullness. It needs to come together in the fullness so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. For in this world, we are like Jesus, his love in us for this world, day of judgment. How are all these pieces coming together? Then there's this verse, and maybe you know this verse. This verse lingers with me a lot, especially as I'm challenged in life with agendas or responsibilities, and I don't know where to go. 1 John 4, 18 says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What's he getting at here? Perfect love drives out, casts out fear. Any of you ever hear that statement before? Perfect love casts out fear. Any of you fearful here today? Fear is a common thing with us. And so the fear here is more directly talking about the fear of punishment or judgment on the final day. And he's saying that the love of God, when it comes to its fullness and completeness in us, and we understand God's love, and we are able to love others, that begins to push out the fear 
of what that judgment day will be because we will stand complete in Christ and Christ will look at us and see himself and see that we operated like him in this world and he will say, welcome into your place of rest. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Now, that needs to be sort of um, retranslated there because in the original Greek, it doesn't say fear has to do with punishment, like there's always punishment and that's coming on the end of fear. But it has to do that there is the fear has punishment to it. And the word punishment here is, is actually one of being restrained or limited. So fear, all right, has punishment to it. There has, fear has limitation. Fear imprisons. Fear torments. And all of us can give credence to that. When we're in fear and we're scared, something's coming on the heels of that that comes with it, and we feel constrained, we're in prison. And it can be in all kinds of ways. There can be anxieties, there can be tensions, there can be worries, there can be doubts, there can be insecurities, there can be apathy. All those things start to, to, to close in around us. We become feeling isolated. There's this punishment of imprisonment. I put FOMO up there. You know what FOMO is? Some of you know what FOMO is. I'm so hip, I know what FOMO is. Fear of missing out, right? So there's fear of missing out kind of fears, right? What's happened this last year with COVID? What's happening right now as there's the fear of the Delta variant? Fear drives us into isolation. There's punishment that comes from fear. And we have to push back against that to make sure that perfect love, complete love, cast out that fear. So I want to state it this way as we begin to draw things to a close. God's love is perfected not merely through our perception of it or our experience of it. Those two are very critical, though but through also our expression of it. God's love reaches completion by the degree to which it is realized within and shared with others. Now, I don't know if you hung with me to go there on this whole point today or not. A lot more time we spent about it because I'll be honest with you, this passage, as I got back into it, I haven't really studied it or thought of it for a long time as it relates to what's actually being said there has challenged me and to some degree frustrated with me because I wanted to lean on these first two, that the love of God, perfect love, the uh, experience of God's love, the perception of his love for me, I need to love him more, that whole thing of, Carrie, you worry about the depth and I'll take care of the breadth. That is true. But John seems to be saying something a little bit more here. He's saying that when love comes to completion or perfection, then that's going to have this expulsive power for fear. And that perfection and completeness is not just a self-centered, oh, Jesus loves me, God is love, let's sing that song again. It's an expression of love to others. And so he's intermingled and tied these two together to say perfect love cast out fair means not only the perception of love and the experience of love, but the expression of love to others. 
So if you're sitting in a self-contained prison of self-centeredness and woe is me and self-pity, right? All of us can fall into that pit every now and then. John's saying, get up, acknowledge the love of God because he is love and he sealed your spirit. You're possessed by his spirit. He loves you. He demonstrated it through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We testified and we, we saw him. He's the savior of the world. He can be in your savior word. But that love has to come to completion and perfection by you then extending that love to others that dwells within you. So get out of your self-pity pit and start pragmatically serving others, beginning with just a word of kindness. And as you extend kindness, as you extend gifts of service, as you appoint people, and maybe some of that's tough love because you've been avoiding a difficult conversation and there's conflict going on. As you extend yourself to others, maybe it's your spouse asking them for forgiveness we all have a gunny sack full of ways we've messed up in our marriage, right? Dump it out and go through every one of them if you need to. As you extend that love and you walk into that spirit of love as an expression to others, love is made complete and the power of that to move you away from fear is incredible. The fear of judgment on the final day, yes, but the fear that imprisons your everyday life because some of us are walking around in a prison here today. You won't tell anybody that, but life is closing in around you. Would you take the opportunity to experience the love of Jesus all over again and then extend that love to others? Love expressed drives out the imprisoning fears of the self-centered life. Should I say that again? Love expressed drives out the imprisoning fears of a self-centered life. Me, 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 my needs are not being met. That's usually where life goes because of that sinful nature we die to and let the life of the Spirit live through us. And so then he just simply finishes out, we love because he first loved us. <laughs> so true. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister, well... He doesn't mince words. He says, you're a liar. But whoever does not love their brother and lover, but whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. It wasn't just the Apostle John that knew about this love from God and how that love of God could strengthen and make a person whole and empower them for living to walk away from the fears of life. The Apostle Paul also knew. And Paul says in Romans 8, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? If he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give to us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he then that condemns? More than that, who is the one that will condemn when Christ is in the place? 
Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or famine or persecution, nakedness, danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, or any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul knew it. John knew it. Do you know it? Do you know the power, the expulsive power of God's love in your life as you extend it to others? If you're here this morning, you've never experienced the love of God, we'd love to pray for you to cross that line of faith, to place your faith in Christ who died for you and rose from the grave and let his spirit come to possess you. It brings transformation. It doesn't happen. You do not become someone who's filled with the Spirit by sitting in church. There has to be the active invitation. You've heard me say it before. You don't become a Christian any more by sitting in church than becoming a Big Mac by sitting in McDonald's. There has to be a volitional choice. Have you made that decision to invite the God of love to possess you? And if you have, then I ask you this question. Have you, this week, made a decision to let that love that dwells within you to be expressed to others? For as you receive God's love and as you express God's love, that love comes to completion and perfect love cast out the fears that you have. Will you pray with me? Lord, this morning we ask that you would take this message, apply it to our heart from John's letter. May you strengthen us for anyone that's in need today, that's in fear, anxieties, overwhelmed by the agendas that stand before them or the lack of resources, whatever it may be. May they draw near to you as you draw near to them. And may they take that love you pour out into their hearts to give to others. And Lord, in that act, may you bring transformation and release them of the imprisonment that they're in. Lord, may you do that for us as a church. Lord, how we can only imagine as, as a young, uh, growing church what it would be like for us as a body of people to fully experience that love and extend that love on a regular basis. Lord, for the peoples whose lives would be changed, and the families, young to old, Lord, help us to grasp the love and extend the love. Lord, may we be a people who obey what you said to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love others as ourselves. And God's people said, amen. I'm going to ask the ushers just real quick to come and receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as your connect cards. I really want us to be of encouragement to you, and maybe you're on your spiritual journey, on the place on the back of your connect card is a place to mark, hey, I'm interested in spiritual growth. Or maybe you this morning pray to prayer, Lord, surrender, come into my life, take over for me. I ask you to just continue to, to wrestle with what God's doing in your heart and allow him time to, to work. Ushers, you can just come forward and begin passing. I also want us to um, just acknowledge that you and I, on a weekly basis, have the opportunity to recalibrate our life and to be here for worship. 
I'm encouraging us to sort of redefine some of our pathway forward for us as a church as school gets back into session. But do you know that on a Sunday morning such as this, you're not a spectator? On a Sunday morning such as this, you're a participant in God's work. Sometimes I say in a church uh, Sunday morning, there's three meetings. There's the meeting before the meeting, there's the meeting, and then there's the meeting after the meeting. The meeting before the meeting is you interacting with people. The meeting after the meeting is you interacting with people. And could it be that in those interactions, someone finds the love and the encouragement of God in a far greater way? Maybe you pray for them, and I've exhorted you to do, in a far greater way than sitting in the meeting itself. So we've had two parts to this morning. We've had the meeting before the meeting. You've now had the meeting. Um, there's no refreshments today or those kinds of things. We're going to get some stuff back up and going for after the meeting, the meeting after the meeting. But I now dismiss you not only to go into the world to be the missionaries for Jesus Christ, but I dismiss you to the meeting after the meeting where there's someone around you you don't know. You can greet them. You can find someone else you can encourage this week. So stand with me, if you will. God, may you empower your people to take your love to a lost world and to friends who are near. God bless.